It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Hello, and welcome to In The Field, a new podcast from IB Times UK. Each week we speak to journalists and stringers, activists and aid workers, working at the heart of stories that matter. This week, we're talking about the Philippines, a controversial new president, Rodrigo Duterte's war on drugs. As many as 5,000 people have been killed since Duterte took office five months ago, shot dead on the streets of poor neighbourhoods of Manila by vigilantes, rival gangs, and, it is claimed, the police. Our first guest this week is Sean Williams, a journalist who recently returned from Manila, where he reported on the murders for a number of outlets, including IB Times UK. Our second guest is Dante Ang, executive editor of the Manila Times, a local newspaper. So, Sean, you're just back from the Philippines. Um, just give us a little idea about how long you were out there and, and the kind of stories you were working on. Yeah, I was out there for around two and a half weeks in September, and I was covering, I was trying to cover some, some sort of more in-depth stories. So, uh, for instance, one of the pieces that I'm working on right now is kind of this hyper-domestic view of one of the slums in Manila, that's kind of been affected by the whole uh, drug war um, and trying to get a, a view on how people are kind of handling it from day to day psychologically and whether they whether they really understand the full gravity of what's happening around them. Because we've seen, obviously, the pictures we see here, uh, the reports we've been reading, I mean, there haven't been so many recently, but when it, when it was all kicking off with the drug war, um, the images were, were, were harrowing and... It was an incredible story. Um, it seemed to come out of nowhere. It's been an incredible phenomenon for many different reasons, really. When I went out there, it was kind of in full swing already. And uh, I guess there was a sort of touch of the media circus around it, as grim as that is for such a sort of violent thing to be happening. But uh, it, it's kind of reached a stage where the people seem to have been completely mollified by the idea of all of this violence happening. So... When the when the numbers kick into like three three thousand four thousand five thousand dead, um, there really doesn't seem to be much kind of popular dissent apart from some media outlets. And and on a day to day basis, meeting people in in Metro Manila, which is where I spent almost all of my time, it's quite astounding to to see how people's views are are not really changed by the amount of death and violence that's being meted out every day. So talk me through how, how you cover a story like that. You you know, you arrive in Manila, you, you check into your hotel, then what do you how do you go about covering the, the story that you want? Essentially in, in Manila what's going on right now is there's a kind of a 
there's a kind of standard rotation. There's there's a kind of night shift in inverted commas that people are doing, uh, and you will kind of latch on to the local journalists who uh, mostly are kind of hanging out at the major police stations, uh, whether that's in Quezon City, which is actually the most popular city in the Philippines or Manila. The way that we did it, and there was me, and I think I kind of was hanging around with about half a dozen other people as well. We would go down to the police station around 10 or 11 p.m., uh, and then there would be a, two or three fixes with lo- links to the local police. Uh, and then when we got a phone call or a couple of phone calls from different fixes, people would kind of jump in jump in wagons, vans, cars, and shoot off into the distance. And we'd uh, some of us sometimes it would be three or four different cars going in different directions, chasing uh, different killings, uh, uh, and that would normally go on till around. I would say sort of four, five, six in the morning. So it was quite a grueling uh, experience. I did it, I did the night shift around five or six times. Uh, others were doing it every night um, because I think they were more on the news side, so they were trying to actually see as as much of the um, action as they could up close. Uh, I had the the luxury, I guess, of being able to step away and, and work on my own stuff in the background. But so you, when you rock up at one of these sites, I mean, that's got to be quite a uh, difficult thing to see, you know, a body in the road. We've all seen the pictures kind of pusher signs on it. I mean, what's that like as an experience? It kind of takes a while to set in, really, because I've seen some other situations similar to that. But I think the what what kind of really was affecting people, and it was affecting everyone that I was around who was working there, was the the sort of monotony of it, that the... The expectation and the, the kind of lack of shock when you get to, you know, yet another double killing or you see another body, you know, with blood streaming down the street and families crying. It's, I would say, it's the it's the kind of quotidian nature of of the death that was that was most shocking. Um, and also, what took a while to set in was the fact that when you do see these killings happening, or you don't see them happening, you see them very very soon after. Um, there is no attempt to take witness statements there's no attempt to, to kind of clean up the crime scene the body's literally just just pulled onto a stretcher pulled off and then that's it you don't you don't see any more again and the and the scene is just swept up some cases by the people who are living there and then that's it and then there's no one left uh, it's as if it never happened and manila i mean manila's always had its problems particularly with drugs with gang violence but i imagine this phenomenon is is, is a completely new thing so i mean how are the journalists how is the city dealing with it it depends which kind of echelons of the city you're talking about, really, because there is such such an underclass in uh, Manila. It's it's uh, hugely shocking to see. I mean, it's a it's a metropolitan area of I think it must be over 10, 15 million people. So it's absolutely sprawling, huge place, and most of those people are living in you know what we would consider as poverty, uh, slums stretching for miles on end. The way that the the media has portrayed the whole situation means that these people haven't really, I guess, encountered it from a human rights aspect, and they they're pretty much behind the president because of the the kind of how tight his propaganda game has been online and in in uh, newspapers and television. When you get up to the higher echelons of society, then there are some dissenting voices, but the way that Duterte has structured his government is that there pretty much is no dissent coming from the top down. It's very easy for him to to blame any dissent on a, a kind of metro, metropolitan elite, which we've heard in the UK quite a bit recently. Yeah. 
I mean, I, I'm not assuming you're kind of an expert in, in Philippines politics, neither am I, but do you have an, like, get an idea from being there of where this came from? I mean, where Duterte came from in terms of... Yeah, well, th- there are kind of two different two different aspects to it. I mean, first off, there's his time as mayor of Davao, which is a city in the south, which uh, for years and years was, was riddled by drug violence. Uh, it was kind of run by gangs. And he really did clear the city up in a very violent way, uh, similar to what he's doing now. Um, and he was hailed as a bit of a hero down there. So when it came to the election, he threw his hat in the ring. Um, I don't think many people thought he was going to win because there's a, there's a very sort of, there are a few um, dynasties in, in uh, Filipino politics and it seemed like one of the one of the established political people would, would win. But what Duterte did that none of the others did was that he mobilised social media and the internet and really just completely blitzed his opposition through there. Uh, I think he was outspent by a huge, huge amount by his rivals in the uh, in the uh, elections this summer. But he took over 40% of the vote. And since then, he's really battened down on this social media and uh, Facebook campaigns. And uh, there really is almost uh, the way that people think about him as a strong man. Uh, they've They've been willing to look past all of the flaws that I guess most people would read about in the Western press. Uh, and you barely ever hear any anyone talk about that kind of stuff when you're in Manila itself. It's incredible. The you you mean you could actually be talking about Donald Trump, couldn't you? Yeah, it's 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 pretty strange, uh, the parallels that you could draw. Uh, especially where it comes to Facebook actually. Um so in the Philippines a lot of people have smartphones but they don't have the money to pay for data. So all they have is the opportunity to look at kind of clickbait articles, but they don't have the chance to actually click through and read them. So what you get on Filipino Facebook is a lot of these really well-organized, hyper-partisan, cobbled-together websites that say something like Duterte, hero, you know, kills 4,000 drug dealers, scumbags, something like this. Um, But there's no chance for Filipinos to really dig under the skin of that and see the facts. So... Yeah, it's it's the uh, I would say it's an even more uh, crazy version of what's been going on in the US. So, so you mean that they they can only see the headlines and they can't click through because they don't have the data to 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 log on. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's been a huge huge driver in the popularity of Duterte recently, and he's mobilised you know thousands and thousands of people, some of whom have been paid to to disseminate uh, propaganda online. Uh, if you go to some of the pages on Facebook and some of the Twitter followers, they have millions and millions of followers. And it kind of becomes a multiplication game where the more people just share this kind of stuff, the more that becomes the de facto, well, the fact, really, of the day. Yeah. You, you kind of alluded to the, the class issue before, but I mean, is is there a support for Duterte in that bottom strata of society where, where these killings are happening? Or is it mostly among the rich and the middle class that support him? So I spent the majority of the final week in uh, Manila just in one slum because I really wanted to get an idea of this, how your average um, poor uh, Filipino family or community kind of interacts with this whole situation. Uh, And what I found was that they would, it was very weird cognitive dissonance where they would kind of at the same time uh, condemn to me that the killings and 
they would sprinkle in words like human rights and extrajudicial killings into Tagalog, like uh, sort of strange passwords. But they would not go the extra mile and say that it was actually the president's fault. Uh, and when you press them on this, they would say it was overreach of the police. It was uh, drug dealers offing each other. And they would sometimes say it was the media's fault as well. But then you would find out that they never read the newspaper. They never they never really look into any stories. It was always because they consume all of their news online uh, or through the television, all of which are controlled pretty much by the government. And uh, so there's this weird sense where they they appreciate the, the strongman attitude of Duterte and that he speaks his mind, as we've heard in America so much. But they, they don't like the violence, but they... I think that they don't really equate the violence with him. I think they always try and find a way of dancing around that. Mm. It seems to have dropped down the kind of news nowadays in the recent weeks. I guess that's probably because of Trump and other stuff going on, the war in Syria and so on. There's less less exposure on it now. I mean, it, is it, as far as you know, is it tapering off in terms of the killing or, or is it just carrying on but no one's talking about it? I think it's sadly the latter, really. Um, I think there have been. I think it's going to maybe ramp up in the new year when uh, Trump gets into power, because obviously Duterte's been trying to pivot pretty, pretty sharply away from the U.S., um, been courting China and even Russia uh, for foreign policy and, and military and, and all sorts of things. So, I think that when Trump comes to power and these two kind of very similar populists clash, then I think you could be revisiting this in a lot of stories. But um, I think something interesting that Duterte said was that uh, even human rights defenders uh, who get in the way of these killings could be legitimately killed themselves. Um, that's, I mean, that's tantamount to, to kind of condoning a war crime. So I, I think that if anyone gets in harm's way in that sense, then that could also make the news as well. Yeah. And you, I mean, you, you report from a lot of uh, a lot of hairy places. You were recently in Afghanistan. In terms of uh, the Philippines, how do you rate that story on your scale of of stories you've covered? I found it one of the most uh, certainly depressing trips that I've been on because, I mean, not least for the fact that, all, that as among the kind of clique of journalists that were going around, you would you would be up at eight and not really be going to bed till about five in the morning. But aside from that, I thought that the like I said, the, the kind of grim monotony of the whole thing and the feeling that it is a bit of a, it's this kind of circus of murder and violence uh, and, and no one seems to care. Uh, I think that was possibly the most depressing aspect of it. And I, I rarely came into contact with true distraught people or anyone that was, uh, as you would expect in a, a scene of sort of despair, any of the deep emotion that you would expect that to carry with it. I think that it, the sort of this is just what's happening aspect of it made it even feel even more great. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. 
Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From the normal. Thanks, John. And now over to Dante, who will tell us a little more about how the war is being received by Filipinos. So on the um, on what's going on in the Philippines in terms of the drug war, hmm. uh, you've obviously been back there in Manila since '98. You've been involved in, in journalism ever since. So has it been a challenge deciding how to cover something? I mean, presumably you can't take an editorial line against or for Duterte. I mean, the man's the president. So how, how, do, you, how do you deal with that? It's actually a, it's a, it's a big challenge because it's, it's not a, you know, what, what, I, what I sense when I look at, you know, CNN and the other reports from the West is that it's, they, 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 there seems to be an impression that it's a, it's a black and white issue, but it's really quite quite complicated because um, some of the killings, you know, you can't really say they're, they're attributed to the government because the problem with, with, with the drug trade is that it has infiltrated even the police, right? right? So the, the police, the dirty policemen are, are allegedly also responsible for, for many of these killings. So it's really hard to tell if there are, I don't know what the right word is, a legitimate, you know, yeah. action by, you know, sanctioned by the government, or if there are dirty, dirty uh, policemen and politicians who are trying to uh, erase any any links that that might uh, uh, connect them to the drug trade, uh, you know, though, though that's another dimension that's not really that's not being really talked about in. In, in foreign media, but that's certainly quite an issue, quite an issue for us here, uh, obviously. A lot of countries have problems with the drug trade, um, mm. not, not least the US and, and, and Britain. But how, how big and how endemic was it as a problem prior to Duterte taking over? Well, you know, prior to Duterte, to, to be honest with you, um, even even us as a, you know, very few journalists here really appreciated how how big the problem was, and you know when when it became certain that Duterte was you know uh, going to be a serious contender, then we started seeing some of the some of the national surveys uh, asking about this issue. And I, I remember there was one particular survey that was reported that um, that the drug trade has infiltrated you know more than 90% of our villages. Now the village in the Philippines is a barangay, so it's the most basic political unit. Right, and in and and the report said it has infiltrated ninety percent of 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 those villages. So it's you know massive. And you know if you if you listen to if you listen to the Senate investigations going on today, you know, and the names and ranks of of policemen being mentioned, I mean, yeah, it's just really mind-boggling. So is there an element that actually, while we are kind of horrified by what's happening, is it is it working? 
What do you mean? Horrified by the killings? By the killings, yeah. I mean, you're talking about kind of what, 5,000 people apparently or close to that have been killed. Well, yeah, more actually, yeah, more than that. I, I think the number I saw was something like 5,300 or something like that. But actually, that's that's quite that's quite disturbing. It's it's disturbing in in in, in the sense that um, that there is there's such a magnitude of this problem existing. Right. But it's not, you know, on, on the street level, it's not disturbing in a security sense. I don't know if that's making any sense, right? It, you don't, you know, people here, at least some of the people I talk to and myself included, you don't, you don't feel that you are in danger. Right. right? I mean, but what surprises you is that, you know, the, the, uh, the, the, the enormity of, of, of this problem and then also the, 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 the numbers of the extrajudicial killings that are, you know, rising. I mean, I think one one newspaper columnist compared the number of people who died so far with the number of people who died during the previous administration. So in the first, what, six months of, of this government, you already have a number that is equivalent or more than the six-year period of other presidents. Right. So in, in, in that sense, it's... The scale, the scale of it gives you a sense of the scale of, of the problem. But I, I mean, I sense I, in, a, in a column you wrote for us, actually, you pointed out that there was, it's kind of nuanced. I mean, it's not that people aren't necessarily against what's happening in, in the Philippines. Well, you know, the, the odd part is, you know, and this is what, what most people try to, try to grasp is there, the, 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 the government enjoys quite a bit of popularity. Yeah. So I, I think... You know that suggests that, you know, at the grassroots level, there, you know, there is a sense that, you know, that the problem is a serious one, and that there is, there is, um, I think, appreciation on 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 people's part to, on, you know, that, that the government is trying to address it. Now, that doesn't mean that just because they appreciate what that the government is is doing something, that doesn't mean that they in, that they are happy with the killings that are going on. So that they they draw a very fine line between you know how far they think the government should go. So yeah. So I think in on it on on one sense people are happy that the government is moving strongly uh, against this problem, but I think there is a growing concern also on on the on the growing list of people who have died so far. It was interesting you mentioned this before, but um. When you're walking around the streets of your neighborhood, um, it's not like you're seeing people being gunned down in the streets. It's not. No, it's it's not. It's not like you know, not not like what you probably associate with Hollywood movies that there are drive-by shootings, right? You know, people just opening opening fire on on a crowd. You know, what is what is going on? Is is he, you know? Dead people showing up, you know, in, in public places, right? Right, and 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 dead people uh, being dumped, you know, with, with some message saying that uh, they were part of the drug trade or that they should, you know, that it serves as a warning to others or something like that. Yeah, I mean, what do you think of the the coverage in in the Philippines and as a journalist? I mean. What have you? How have you felt about the coverage? Do you think it's getting the scrutiny it needs, or do you think there should be more scrutiny? What needs to be done is, I think, more more sophistication. You know, like I said, I, I think um, it, it puzzles many people, uh, probably even local journalists, how there could be 
such an outcry against the killings, but at the same time, a high popularity rating for or approval rating for the government. So, and you know that that's something that needs to be examined more closely. Why that exists? And in terms, uh, aside from Duterte, what what's the feeling kind of on the street? about how for the Philippines is being portrayed in the international media or or, is, or are people not quite really aware of that I think among the among the, the upper class I mean there seems to be uh, a sense of concern maybe even embarrassment that you know the Philippines is being portrayed in 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 a negative image but you know between you and me when when uh, Trump was elected uh, in the U.S., you know, we, we were sort of glad that, you know, Duterte disappeared from CNN for a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. So, but, you know, and, and, and until the other day when um, when our president had a telephone call with, with the pre, uh, with president-elect Trump. So, but other, other, otherwise, um, I think that, the, you know, the, the masses, they don't really they don't really pick up on that. Well, you were mentioning that earlier that the the issue with kind of internet speeds and and naturally Sean Williams, who spoke to us earlier, he 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 was in Manila recently. He said that a lot of people they don't have internet access on their phones. That the internet networks aren't aren't great, so it's difficult for people to keep up to date with the news. Well, yeah, I don't think it's difficult to keep up with the news. It's just inconvenient. Right. Um, I think it, you know for for the majority of Filipinos, just like everywhere anybody else in the world today. I mean. There's all you know, there's a lot more a lot more access to, to news than, than ever before. I mean, um, and that keeps the local guys on on our toes, right? I mean, because um, the a lot of a lot of foreign outfits also uh, do you know extensive coverage of, of Philippine affairs. So yeah. I mean, uh, quite embarrassing for for the local guys to be scooped by by the foreign media outlets uh, um, doing work here. Yeah, of course. And so just my final question, I mean, how do you, where do you see this going? I mean, it's been six months. He's potentially got six years. Do you think yeah. Duterte will kind of maybe calm down, sit back, or do you think this is, this is it now? It's going to be like this for the next five and a half years? I don't know him, right? And uh, to be honest with you, I, didn't, I did not vote for him either. But so I, I, what I know of him, I, I know from, from following the media, just like everybody else. Right. And he doesn't, he doesn't seem to be the kind of guy who would change. I think he relishes in, in telling people that, you know, take it or leave it, this is who I am, right? Yeah. Uh, and he, he, even, he even brags about not having a, a, um, a desire to hold on to the presidency and said willingly that he would he would willingly give up the presidency if you know if people didn't didn't agree with him so i mean that gives you a sense that it's that he's not going to change yeah and what, what but what i what i think and this is the article that i was trying to develop for you just haven't had time to sit down on it is that he he seems to be a lot more masterful as a political strategist than he's being given credit for um what i sense personally is that he's playing a high stakes gambling game right i mean right. on foreign policy for instance you have his moves toward china and his rebuffing of the united states yeah right? and on the one hand you, you you think that's a nationalistic move and until you remember that you know there's a need number one to de-escalate the tension in the south china sea then there's also the the peace talks with the communists those two things are are 
you know they they have to be taken into consideration when you read his when you read his moves even his uh, even his uh, political appointees if you if you really study them i mean they're they're not uh, out of a whim i mean there seems to be uh, you know a political game being played you know so it's you know, the the thing is if he is successful then you know um, i think people will be singing praises to him but you know but if if he fails I mean, the, the, the stakes are so huge. I mean, people start asking questions, you know, like whether or not he would last six years. So. Thanks, Dante. We've included rich links to some of Sean's reports from Manila in this podcast, as well as Dante's columns for IB Times UK. So if you're listening on Acast, be sure to go back and check them out. There's plenty more pieces on the war on drugs and Duterte on the website as well. So for more information, go to ibtimes.co.uk. Lastly, if you like this podcast, please subscribe on iTunes and leave us a review. Next week, we'll be finally turning to the US, just over one month since the election of Donald Trump. How is America coping with its brash new billionaire president-elect? Until then, take care. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.